part of what he wants to do in any way. So uh, let's uh, open up our Bibles to the book of John chapter 13. Uh, we're going to talk today and we're going to read a scripture about Jesus washing his disciples' feet. I think you guys are all familiar with this passage. Uh, it's a really beautiful thing and it shows us who Jesus is and it shows us the character of who God is very, very clearly and vividly. So let's pray. Father God, I'm, um, Lord God, I, I find myself always in need, always in need. There's uh, nothing that I can offer you uh, that's of any use, Lord God. You could use millions of people who are way more gifted. Um, Lord God, what do we have? What do we have? What do we have that we can give you? Nothing that you cannot produce in your own strength and your own power, Lord God. But you still call us. You still call us to serve you. So you still call us to work and to offer what you have given to us back to you for you to use it for your purposes. You are truly a good father who loves us. Lord, I oftentimes think of it like this, Lord, like you're like the father to us when we were nine or ten years old where we had to borrow money from our father to buy him a father's birthday. Did I buy you? Can I buy you anything you don't already have? No. But it's just the desire of a child to bring his father something of worth, something valuable, a treasure that pleases his heart. Lord, I want you to be pleased. Please, Lord, enable us to do that. Build us up in the most holy faith in Jesus' name. Amen? Okay. So this starts in uh, John chapter 13, verse 1, and it starts this way. It was just before the Passover feast. Jesus knew that his had time had come for him to leave the world and go to his father. So I want you to remember the context in which this is given. He's under major stress. He knows exactly what five hours from now is going to produce. This great, wonderful celebration that they're going to have is going to be interrupted by a lot of tense suffering where even the people who follow him are thinking to themselves, man, I didn't bargain for this. And they think about how they could get out without being scathed or caught up in the whole thing. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. Man, over and over he keeps going deeper and deeper and deeper into how much he loves his children, his chosen, the ones he came for. He demonstrates it over and over and over. You know what? I, I never want to say that Jesus demonstrated a, a woman's love because he wasn't a woman. He was a man. But his love was very much like a mother's love. You know, Mothers love their kids sometimes to the point of con constantly bowing lower to offer them love. You know, fathers kind of have their limits a lot of times, you know what I mean? But mothers kind of keep going lower and lower and lower to love the kids that, they, that, that are part of them. And I see Jesus doing this. He keeps lowering himself lower and lower to love his children. The evening meal was being served, and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, to betray Jesus. So I want you to remember, Jesus knew this as he's eating his meal. He knows Judas has already just The devil is already working inside him, and he's already figuring out, how am I going to get out of this party so that I could go get those soldiers to be here at this time so I could betray Jesus? 
I want to think. I want you to think to yourself: How would you act in a situation like that, where you know that you're surrounded by someone that's literally plotting your demise right there? And you know, one of the things that we've learned from the uh, from antiquities and and all the history at that dinner, the, the 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 seat of honor was this seat right here. And for you to get in the seat of honor, you had to be invited by the master of the ceremony. Jesus was the master of the ceremony. So when he opened this seat for the most honored spot, he called Judas to sit here. I mean, this is amazing. It's amazing to me. It's almost like it's his last ditch effort to deter Judas from doing what he's already made his mind to do. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. Now, I want to take just one second to explain something there. This was the drink water that prompted this great act of sacrifice. Come here, Sam. Turn around. It was like God the Father embraced his son and said, you are my, sorry, I know it's making him uncomfortable. <laughs> Makes me a little uncomfortable. He goes, you are my son in whom I am well pleased. That's what God did. And in front, you could sit down. But this is what prompted Jesus to do what he was going to do next. Because what he was going to do next was utterly shocking. So shocking, nobody who had even an ounce of self-respect would ever think to do what he did. And this is what he does. So, he gets up from the meal, takes off his outer clothing, wraps a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize what I'm doing, but later you will understand. Peter goes, no, no, no. Shall you never wash my feet? Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you can have no part with me. Then, the Lord, Simon, then Lord Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but wash my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, a person who has a bath needs only his feet washed. His whole body is clean. You are clean through every word that I have spoken to you. Wow. But not everyone at this table is clean, for he knew who was going to betray him, and that was why he said everyone was not clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on the clothes and he returned to his place. Do you not understand what I have done for you, he asked them? You call me teacher, you call me Lord, and that's rightly so, for this is who I am. But now that I, your Lord, your teacher, have washed your feet, you should wash another's feet. I have set for you an example that you should do as I have done for you. I tell you, there is no one who is greater than his master, nor is any messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. 
Man, this was powerful. I can almost imagine it in my mind's eye. They're all sitting there. They're watching Jesus. Jesus was kind of a mixed bag anyways. He really never knew what he was going to do from time to time. So they just learned to kind of step back and keep their mouths shut. But Jesus really stepped over the line this time. He did something that everyone was like, I don't even know what to do with this. I can remember one time we had gone to a couple, Pastor Asa and I. He was my uh, pastor at uh, Portage Park. And Pastor Asa, he, he had one major gift. And you know what his gift was? Meekness. Meekness and humility. So much so that I never saw a person take more insult in my life and return blessing for it. We went to a couple's house. The couple... The husband was very uh, abusive to the wife. The wife was like, I can't do it anymore. We tried to get this guy to submit, but man, was he stubborn. We couldn't get anywhere. We tried scripture. We tried praying for this guy. We tried reasoning for this guy. Asa gets up in the middle of the, uh, the meeting, goes into the kitchen, pulls out a big bowl, and fills it up with water, and puts a towel around his waist, comes down and kneels before this guy. And I'm looking, and I'm like, and the guy's like, what are you, you going to do? He goes, I want to wash your feet. I'll never forget what I saw in that man's eyes. He was utterly horrified. Do you know why? Because that act of humility and love would have broken his heart. And he didn't want his heart to be broken. But Asa washed his feet that day. I remember it. And I mean, I remember I was crying the whole time. The dog's like, and I'm, I'm like, I'm crying, man. This was a powerful moment. Why? Because it's the humility of God. It's the gentleness of God. It's the excessive, generous grace of God that breaks the stubborn inclination to resist. And that's all of us. We want to resist God in our flesh. You know, I have no desire to show you how to be holy. Uh, I know that uh, Pastor uh, Mark Job, he gives you usually steps on how you should live holy. But that's never worked for me, never worked for me. Like, for instance, I can remember when pastors would say, hey, do this, do this, do this. In my mind, I would go, why? Why should I do this? Why should I do that? Why should I do this? What I desire more than anything else is to, uh, to relate to you, to illustrate to you why you should want to live holy. When I read this scripture, this tells me why I should want to live holy. Because this is what Jesus does for me. This is why Jesus came to earth to wash my feet. Jesus didn't come, I'm coming to earth to make your knee bend so you'll serve me like this. No, he says, I've come to serve you. So that you would then in turn be partners with me to serve others. Man, this has been the greatest prompter in my life. It's always been the why. In the scripture that we see today, Jesus acts out of his position as son beautifully. When his disciples are clamoring for position and fame, that's one of the things that only Luke talks about because they would all have been ashamed to talk about it because they were fighting. As they were getting ready to eat, the one guy goes, well, I'm going to be the Department of Defense, and I'm going to be the Secretary of State, and I'm going to be the Vice President, and I'm going to be this, and I'm going to be that, and I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do that. Everyone's like, you don't deserve it, you don't deserve it, I'm taking it. So they're fighting, and as they're fighting with each other, what does Jesus do? Silently gets up, and he strips himself, 
to serve them in an embarrassing way. Let me tell you something just about that provision. Nobody in the house did that, not even a slave. You hired a foreigner to wash feet in your house. That's how low that position was. Man, that's a crazy thing. And Jesus, what does he do? He willingly takes the job. Why? Because he was prompted by that hug. I know who I am. I know who I've come from. I know that he loves me, and I'm secure, and I'm safe, and I'm at rest, and I'm at peace. And because of this, I can do it. One of the things that I was thinking as we were worshiping this whole week, Satan's been after me, and he's been in my head, constantly reminding of me of my past, constantly reminding me of my shortfalls and my uh, inadequacies. And, man, he's been after me, I mean, all day long sometimes. You know what I do? I just keep going and I keep praying. And sometimes all I can do is go, Jesus, 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 Jesus. And you know what? I still keep moving forward because I can't stop. But one thing I realized this whole week was no matter what he says about my past, even if it's true, no matter what he says, even about my inadequacies, even though it may be true, he can't change what Jesus did. He cannot change it so all i kept saying is no matter what you say nothing can change what i did nothing so let's keep looking at this a little bit they're all looking for fame they're all looking for status they're all looking for position but jesus teaches them through service the lowest of all servants he strips himself and washes the most dirty place i want you to think about that for just one minute He's washing their feet. They're walking on roads that donkeys walk on. What do you think those feet smelt like? They smelt like the road. And what does he do? He gets right up in there, face to foot, and he washes their feet so that they can have clean, refreshed feet so they can enjoy their meal. Today we're talking about how our sonship creates an environment of rest and peace. This, with our position, will always create in us a perfect, and mo a perfect motive for service. I, I, last week we kind of talked about some of the examples of being at rest and being at peace. Remember I gave you the biblical definition or the Greek definition of rest that meant to get dispensation. That means that God, through Jesus Christ, by holy decree, has caused us and granted us a cease from labor. That means I no longer have to earn my acceptance from God. This was the old way, the religious way. And Jesus came to show them that no matter how hard you try, no matter how much effort you put into it, you still fall short of God's standard. When will you see it? When will you see that only by grace can you be saved? No one can be justified by the works of the law. So Jesus came to do this. One of the aspects of, our humani of humanity's fallenness is that we are in a place of consistent striving. We live in a world that is constantly looking for approval, constantly looking for satisfaction, Constantly looking for self-affirmation. That's this. We just celebrated an entire month called Pride. Now, I'm not here to demonize anyone. But Pride brings death 
all the time. Not sometimes. It separates us from God all the time. Right from the very beginning, death, when it entered into the world, starts to sink its roots. Unity and harmony, support and trust were replaced with distrust, fear, self-protection, and competition. Sadly enough, this has permeated every aspect of life. There are marriages that have been together for 20 years where those things reign in a home. How could a child grow up in strength where there's competition, there's distrust, there's fighting between the two pillars of a home? Why do you think our society is collapsing around us? Because we've given ourselves over to these things. But Jesus says, no. I have rescued you from these things. When Jesus said, "This apple, eating of this apple or whatever this fruit was is going to bring death, I don't think he was talking about physical death. I think he was talking about spiritual death. This is the death that brought, was brought into the world. The orphan spirit is familiar and comfortable in struggle and in battle. That means I can be a bona fide, born-again, spirit-indwelt Christian living as a stranger. I realized probably for the first five years of my faith, I lived as a stranger. Why? Because I, I was saved out of alcoholism and drug addiction, and the reason I became an alcoholic and a drug addict was because I felt I had no worth in myself. I was an utter and complete loser. So I kept selling myself over and over and over so that I would be accepted. And the harder I tried, the farther and harder it came for me. Then when I got saved, I was overwhelmed by the truth that God would even love me and call me. And what does he do? He then releases me back into the world that he saved me out of. And guess what? Because I only knew how to operate as an orphan, I went right back to it. But did God quit on me? No. He kept washing my feet. Washing my feet. He's like, don't worry, I'll get you where you want to be. Don't worry, you can resist only so far and so long. The orphan, even if they're a Christian, is constantly in a place of proving themselves. They want to and demand respect. If I'm a Christian who says, I demand respect, that is an alarm that should be going off deep in my soul. Jesus could have said, I demand respect, but no, he stripped his clothes off, got down, and he washed feet. He could have simply said, hey, I'm done with the disrespect. I've come to command. But is this what he did? No, he certainly did it. And why? Because he knew who he was. He knew who he was. You can be a Christian and you could be demanding of protecting your rights and your self-interest, holding on to the ground that you feel you've claimed. So you believe in Christ, you're kind of operating in Christ, but you keep everybody off at a really healthy can I tell you something? The church is filled with hypocrites. This isn't written for them. 
Christ is here to wash feet. The Christian can demand their rights and demand to protect their self-interest, but all it does is create an atmosphere of open hostility. And God says, as my child, I want you to demonstrate my love by serving, by sonship serving. That means I want you to make yourself low to meet the needs of the people around you. Okay, let me, let me tell you this. When I was getting prepared about five years ago for the launch, when we were going to Norwich, right? Because I was listening to a sermon series by this guy, Colin Smith, and he was doing a, a sermon series on the major players in the Old Test, New, New Testament. And one of the ones that really hit me more than anything else was the study of Herod, the king. I thought I knew about Herod. I thought I knew who he was, but I really didn't know about him at all. First of all, how about this? Herod wasn't a Jew. Did you know that? No, no, no. Rome had come in and organized the world. He put a place called Idumea, Samaria, and Judea in one province. So the Samaritans were like, I hate the Jews. I would never want to be a Jew. So they were at war, right? But the Idumeans, they said, I love Jewish culture. So he grew up in this place where he adopted Judaism like nobody else. There was a joke that used to go around in the Roman provinces that the Idumeans wanted to be more Jewish than the Jewish people wanted to be Jewish. So what I learned was that Herod wanted to be uh, this person. He was very zealous. He was a zealous Jewish convert, but not because he loved God or he was confident that God loved him. We're not even sure he believed that there was a God or he made an impact in this world. But because he loved the Jewish aristocracy, that means he wanted to be a part of the in crowd. He wanted to be remembered through time. He was an orphan. You know why? Because his father was out building empires and left his son to come up with his own identity. He didn't realize that there was a father in heaven that wanted to embrace him and build him up in the most holy faith. Man, so this guy was kind of a tragic character. When he became king by Roman decree, Herod, his reign was marked by bloodshed. There were lots of murder. Killed a wife, two sons, another son, a brother, a brother's wife. He would kill people constantly. You know why? Because Herod was always looking over his shoulder. He always was looking over his shoulder. You know why? He was never at rest or peace. You want to live as an orphan? Expect to never live at rest and at peace. You're always going to be looking over your shoulder. You're always going to live in a place where you have to protect yourself, where you feel you have to defend yourself. You know what? Whenever I do that, because sometimes from time to time when I get tired, when I get lonely, when I get overwhelmed, I feel like I have to protect myself. And whenever those thoughts come into my mind, I remind myself, this is not what you were created for. God's will, let it be done. If God wants this to happen, then let it happen. Only let me do what you want me to do in it. So Herod was killing people left and right because he was afraid. He longed to be welcomed. He longed to be loved. But he saw even smiles and embraces as something that was hiding conspiracies or hidden attempts to undermine his authority and usurp his position. But then Count Smith did a beautiful thing where he contrasted Jesus. 
Because Jesus was at peace with his father, united with his father, nothing could separate him from his father. You could see in his life he was absolutely different. When the people would listen to Jesus, they'd be like, they'd be marveled, overwhelmed. You know why? Because they go, I've never heard anyone like him. It's almost as if he speaks life to me. That's what it meant when they said that he had an authority that nobody else could. Like when he would hear people would be like, oh my gosh, I feel like God himself breathed into my lungs. Look at the life of Jesus because he knew his position. Jesus never, look through the scriptures. Test me out when I'm saying something. Go back to the scriptures. Make sure I'm telling the truth. And if I'm not, let's go back and discuss it. Don't think because I'm up here, you got to listen to everything that I say. Go for yourself. Look for yourself. Why? There's a treasure in it. There's a treasure in it. Don't just take it. But I take a, I take a lot of pains to make sure I, I'm saying what I should be saying. But look at Jesus. He never defended himself. Why? He knew his position. He never schemed. He never plotted. He never used people to accomplish his goals. Like I said, I think I said it last week. I don't know if I said it here or at Norwich. But I was on the brink of divorce 12 years ago. Why? Because I was certain that my wife, this was a saved man. Because I was certain my wife had to make me happy. And you know what? She couldn't. I wasn't made for her. I was made for him. So I disconnected from him and I started to manipulate for me. And God was like, let you languish until you surrender and man he got me to surrender and he'll get you to surrender you want to live as an orphan he will jesus knowingly he was so secure in who he was he knowingly invited a traitor into his closest council he knew exactly who he was he was a son beloved welcomed prot you are my pride and joy in Christ Jesus, we are the same thing. I hide myself in Christ. Like this. Boom. So now God the Father doesn't see me anymore. He sees me covered in the righteousness, beauty, and obedience of Christ. That means I no longer have to keep looking over my shoulder. I no longer have to kind of keep this mentality where I have to kind of protect what no, everything's been given to me from him. You think he would hold back from me anything that's good? No, no, no. No, no. Being a son, being a child, you know what it does? It allows you to go like this with it. Here it is. I want to share it. Let's keep moving forward. He knew exactly who he was, his identity as a son. And because he knew what he was, he knew his mission. And what was that mission? to glorify his father. One of the saddest things for me is this. When I hear Christians say, be careful when you give your life over to the Lord because he may make you do something that is very unpleasant. What? Do you even know who he is? Does he give us things to do that are hard? Yes. I'll tell you one. When I have to forgive people that insult me people that rob from me, people that cheat me. But you know what I've learned? When I resist, I suffer. So he says, son, remember who you are. I want you to live in prosperity. 
Surrender it to me. Surrender it to me, the one who judges rightly. And I think we all have ex- uh, examples of when following God goes against the natural grain of myself. But he always proves to himself, or proves to his church, his children, over and over, to follow him is not a fool's endeavor. It's beneficial. It benefits not only me, but everyone around me. Does that make sense? Man, let's keep moving forward. The peace that God desires for his children and for his kingdom comes from the heavens down to earth. It spreads out from that focus point. That means God shoots his grace through you to spread out from here. You must remember who you are focusing on, who you are in him, what he thinks of you, what he's done for you, what he consistently does for you. And then as you're focusing on that, it spews out of our life and it starts to meet the needs of those around. And strangely enough, as you do this, you're a living witness. A living witness. You know why sometimes it's very hard for us to witness? Because we're acting out of an unnatural position. We should witness naturally. Telling people of how God has demonstrated his faithfulness to us, his goodness to us, his gentleness, his patience to us. Has God ever been patient with you? Oh, he's been more patient with me than I could ever hope for. More than I have been patient with other people. Can I get an amen? Well, you know what? It reminds me when I see his patience and his goodness. This doesn't give me a license to stay in impatience. No, I want to surrender Because I know that this is right. It's good. It's pleasing. All right. I, this is the first thing that you can do. Remember I told you I wasn't going to tell you to do anything? I lied. I'm sorry. I'm going to tell you to do something. And you know what I'm going to tell you? Preach to yourself. Learn to preach to yourself. I can remember one time I went on Montrose Avenue and I'm preaching to myself. Jesus, you love me. Jesus, you follow me. I'm crying. And I look over at this guy next to me, and he's like, <laughs> he's like, this guy's out of his mind. And I was like, you're right, buddy. I am out of my mind for Christ. And you know what? Why? Because I was overwhelmed with joy. I was overwhelmed with peace. I was overwhelmed with comfort. Something that I have longed for my whole life that I could never find here. Never find here. I got 10 minutes. All right. I have to remember that I'm only able to operate in cooperation, in beneficial participation, and in edifying partnership when I'm focusing on the treasured love that has been given and purchased for me. This in a nutshell is this. I can't be at peace with you if I'm not focusing on my peace with him. It just won't work. I cannot love you if I don't get overwhelmed by his love for me. You know why? Because I'll always revert back to that place. I'll love you if you love me. That's worthless. I'll give to you if you provide for me. Man, I'm telling you, that, that, that leads us into a place to where we're constantly in positions of vendor relationships. I'll give to you as long as our partnership pays me what I desire. 
But maybe it doesn't. I'm looking for someone else. Man, our society has no pillars. There's no anchors. You know why? They have learned conditional love. God gives us anchored, committed, committed love in Christ Jesus. This is where all the goodness of our life is produced. Because I'm at peace and because I'm at rest, I'm no longer striving. I'm no longer defending. I don't have to, I don't have to look great for you. All I have to do is walk with sincerity. All I have to do is give earnest effort. All the time I'm like, I'm the worst teacher. I'm the worst preacher. Why would he ever have me do anything? I'm thinking there's thousands of people who should be doing this more than me. But he reminds me, I didn't ask them. I've asked you. Why? He gets some pleasure in using me. Is that not enough? Well, it is when I praise God. It reminds me that I'm not stuck in this world anymore. I've been lifted up. I've been lifted out. When I remember who I am in Christ, when we remember who we are in Christ, we revel, we revel in the acceptance of Christ. You know what I've learned? There's a great song by David Crowder. He is jealous for me, loves like a hurricane, I am true. And then he says this, he goes, in the sight of your glory, I, I find it easy to overlook all the things that are lacking, all of my inadequacies. As he sees the glory of God's love, as he's blown over by how much God loves him in Christ Jesus, he's like, I can't hold on to all those things that keep me down in the gutter. Man, I'm telling you, this salvation is a great salvation. Thomas Watson, a 17th century theologian, said this, that our greatest joy as children of God, as we open up our eyes each morning, is that I am welcomed. I am received by God. And it is not based on my ability to earn my Father's favor or keep my Father's favor. It is based rather on all that Christ accomplished on my behalf. I heard this once from a preacher, James Ford. He goes, the devil will remind you who you used to be, but we have to remind him of what one day he will be. Man, I am saved. I am secure. I am brought out. I don't have to operate as an orphan anymore. I'm not in lacking. I'm not poor. I'm over rich over rich and not in the things that fade away or can be stolen from my pockets or rust can destroy no 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 god has riched me with beautiful relationships friendships a beautiful family that accepts me and loves me and i'm not even talking my blood family that loves me i'm talking my church family and you know what when i withhold myself from winning i cheat myself and I realize I'm not being who my father wants me to be through you. I want you to remember that. Church going isn't what God requires. Anybody can go to church. It means nothing. Being, church being is what God requires from us. We've seen now examples of what rest is. But now I want to look just briefly at what rest is not. Holy rest is not the absence of effort. 
Paul sells, sends this guy, Timothy, to a church called Ephesus. Ephesus has been around for a long time. Timothy's about 22, maybe 23 years old. He's got saints there who have older underwear than this kid is old, right? And he's going to be their pastor, and they're like, you ain't going to tell me nothing. And he's afraid. You know why? Because they're watching him, and they're resisting. They're like, I'm not being told what to and he starts to run away, and Paul finds out that he's kind of running away. And he goes, Timothy, don't run away. Be like the farmer. You want to see a perfect and a beautiful example of what it looks like to be a, a Christian in this world today? You have to be like a farmer. Farming is a great illustration of kingdom living. The farmer must use effort and skill to cultivate the soil. You don't have to be the greatest teacher. You don't have to be the greatest servant. All you have to be is willing to let God cultivate your creativity. You have to stable. You have to learn how to listen. You have to learn how to care. You have to take the schedule that God has given you and allow him to rearrange it. So you're not just adding Jesus into, but he becomes the center of. Does that make sense? Man, this is when we gain power and credibility. When we just come and we go, we have no credibility. You know why? They say this is just another club. It's the way it works. The, the farmer needs to use his effort to plow the soil, to plant the seeds, regularly fertilize and hydrate the crops. If he doesn't, the Christian who operates not allowing God to use him or her, doesn't ha he has an unrealized yield. That means the farmer does work, but he does so with different motives. He operates in gratitude. He operates in eagerness. He operates in trust. Paul tells the Corinthians, and he tells you and I today, this day, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 15, Therefore, my beloved family, stand firm. Regularly remind yourself who God is, what he's done. All the effort that he's taken to bridge the gap from where you used to be to where he is. You think you got near him? No, he came near you. He was the one who tore down the veil. I could have never crossed that boundary. Remind yourself, preach to yourself over and over. This is how we stand firm. When we say to ourselves in our minds, because you will say this to yourself, protect yourself at all costs. You've been hurt before. Remember, you've given and been cheated. Tell me I'm wrong. You know what you have to remember? I've been given more than I was allowed to. Jesus never So we'll finish with the rest of this verse. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord. What is the work of the Lord? I'm going to take two seconds. It's loving the people around you in a tangible way. Being counted on. Being available to them. Don't just come in and punch in and punch out. Being a part of the flow. 
And then he says this, do these things because you know that your labor in the Lord will never be in vain. I want you to just think of this. What will it look like when we see his Christ? When we see him face to face, when we see his eyes, and you're thinking, man, I want to be in Christ. And I'm looking and saying, you're in vain. And you know what I say? You gave me some headaches, kid. All right, this is where we're going to end, and we're going to bring up our candidates today to be baptized. Can I tell you, this is a wonderful example for me of why it's important and what a blessing it is. I'll tell you in a minute, but uh, Anthony, you come up and, and lead us up through this whole thing. Okay. Let's uh, give it up for Tom, uh, Pastor Tom for bringing us God's word. Thank you, Pastor Tom, for your, your service uh, and, and words to touch our hearts. Uh, today is Baptism Sunday, as I said earlier. Uh, we have set aside every second Sunday of the month going forward. So anybody that's thinking about being baptized, uh, if, if we don't have anybody, then we won't. But we're setting that time aside to make sure that we get people mentored up and we put it on the calendar so we don't miss a beat. People just say, well, you know, next month or whatever. We, we really want to be deliberate. Why? Because that's the mission of our church. What is the, people know the mission of our church, right? Our members is to be a family of love that cooperates with God in making fully devoted, fruitful followers of Christ. That's what we're doing today. Why do we do that? Because that's what Jesus called us to do. During Jesus' days, uh, people would come to him and, and they'd say, okay, we, we, we want to follow you. What should we do? The first thing he'd say, he'd say, believe. Believe and then what? Believe and then be baptized. Now, don't get me wrong. Baptism doesn't save you. Baptism is a, a public declaration of an inward commitment. So baptism doesn't save you. But Jesus set the example for us. If you see, we don't baptize babies. Uh, I, was, I, I was raised Catholic, so we were baptized as babies. Don't get me wrong. My parents had good intentions. But Jesus set the example for us. He was dedicated as a child, but as an adult, he chose to be baptized and gave us the example of what it means to be baptized. So that's why we have baptisms today. I'm very excited. Like I said, baptism doesn't save you. It's just a public declaration of an inward commitment. Let me give you an example of that. Imagine uh, when, when I first met my wife, and I told her I loved her, but I just wanted to stay with her. And she says, well, let's get married. And I go, well, I really don't want anybody to know. <laughs> I, you already know I love you, but I don't want to declare it to everybody else. So that's why I would question if somebody says, well, I follow Christ, but I don't want to get baptized. It's a public declaration telling all my friends and family that I'm going to follow Christ. That's what baptism is. So I'm very excited to bring up uh, the people that are going to get baptized today. It's Jose, Brenda, and Skylar. If you guys could come up here and just have a, have a seat for a moment. You guys can just come up here, have a seat. Um, and then the people that are going to baptize them, it's Liz and then Nico, if you guys would come up here. And, and I'll, I'll ask you guys to come up in a moment. You guys have a seat for a second, okay? Because uh, I'd, I'd love to share their story with you. Pastor Tom actually mentored them. He, so um, I'm going to ask Tom what it was like mentoring them. And then I'm going to actually challenge you after his story to see if you don't see God calling you to mentor somebody. All right? Like I said, every Sunday we're going to be having baptisms going forward, second Sunday of the month. 
So um, I want to share their story with you a little bit before I ask them why they're choosing to be baptized. Liz, if you could come up here, please, and just have a seat up here with Nico, right in front here. Um, so when I first came to this church over 15 years ago, uh, I was baptized as a 16-year-old kid. Did I follow Christ at that time? No. And so I, I fell away and uh, fell into a, a life of just drinking. Uh, I was an alcoholic for over 30 years. I've been sober for 20 now. But I, I give it to the – thank you. All, all glory to God. But, but I, I give a lot of credit to Celebrate Recovery and this church because that's where I got connected with the Lord and with recovery. And so during that time, uh, I invited my wife to start coming, and so she started coming. And she heard the message, and then she chose. At that point, she said she wanted to be baptized. So I was able to actually mentor my wife and baptize my wife. What a, what a great honor to be able to do that. And so then my wife, being here for a few uh, years, went on to mentor some people, and she actually mentored Liz and then baptized Liz. So I, I just think that that was beautiful because Liz started, you know, there was a change in Liz. She started to invite her nephew, and her nephew Nico came. And then I, he asked me to baptize him. So I, so I mentored Nico and baptized him. Today, they're actually choosing, because like I said, we're called to make disciples. They're choosing, Nico invited his mom and dad and sister to come to church, and they heard the message, and now they're choosing to be baptized. So Nico's going to baptize his mom and his sister, and Liz is going to baptize uh, Jose. So I'm very excited on how ev each one of us here has a story. I don't know how God's going to use you, but when you say yes, like Pastor Tom was telling us, when you follow Christ, it might not be easy, but he, he promises, like he, in the waters, like he when he got baptized and the dove slowly descended, he promised you the gift of the Holy Spirit to guide you. And so that's what I'm excited about today. I'm going to ask you guys to come up here. Tom, uh, what was it like mentoring this family? Um, it was, um, I, I, I don't know, okay. Uh, it was uh, it was a shock. First of all, I would preach and I would watch this guy's eyes. He's kind of got those eyes, and I was like, man, I'm either making him very angry, or he's starting to listen real good. So I went up to him and I said, hey, man, it's put upon my heart that God wants you to be baptized. You've been baptized. He goes, man, I can't believe you said that. God's really been after me. And I go, let's do it. So the first Wednesday we come, they are trailing behind him, and I was like, okay, well, I'm gonna get the back uh, the uh, air conditioning going for them they could sit and kind of read or do something while we're meeting together and they all sit in the same room together and I'm like well wait a minute okay so what's going on and they go we want uh, Brenda goes well we want to be baptized together and we're like okay well we could do this so then there was Skylar and she would sit there day after day week after week and I wasn't even sure she was paying attention and I go home and my wife go how did it go I go it was beautiful it was great I love these people she goes, what about the girl? I go, I don't know, to be honest with you. She's even paying attention. And I asked the question, and the mom, unfortunately, gave the wrong answer. And she went, oh. And I was like, wait, what, what were you going to say? And she, get, and she gave the right answer. And I was like, she has been listening the whole time. And, and week after week, man, they would come. It would be 90-something degrees in that room, right? And you'd be like, but you'd be there, and I was like, that's what it is, man. That's the power of Christ. I am so grateful. Love you guys. I can't, I can't, I'm excited. That's all. Sorry. And, and so, yeah. So the way Tom was blessed, that's not reserved for just the pastor. That's for each one of us. So if, if it's not for the holy holies of holies, no. We, we're all called to make disciples. So if you've been baptized, I want to challenge you. 
to be available to mentor somebody so that, that <coughs> you could also be up here do, doing what Nico and Liz are doing, all right? I want to give you that challenge, anybody that's going to back up. Now, what I want to do now is I want to ask Jose, Brenda, and Sky why uh, they're choosing to be baptized today. And so you get to hear a little bit of their story. All right, Jose, so just let us know why you're choosing to be baptized today. I'm choosing to get baptized because, you know, I feel that he's he's a Nazareth to be baptized and, you know, he's he's the way, the truth, the life, and I just want to be obedient. Awesome. Let's give it up for Jose. Yeah. And Brent, Brenda said she was a little nervous, but uh, you guys cheer her on. She'll be fine. Why are you choosing to get baptized today? Because I know it's the right thing to do. It's Jesus that I want to be with him, and I want to follow him. And that's, that's what I chose to do. Amen. It is the next step, right? It says to believe and then be baptized. Amen. God bless you, sister. All right. Skylar, why are you choosing? Skyla, why are you choosing to be baptized today? I'm choosing to be baptized because I feel like it's right, and I want to go down the right path with Jesus. Give it up for this young lady, yes. All right, come on over here. Uh, Nico, Liz, would you guys come up here for a minute? Um, you guys have any words to say, or just, I know you guys are both proud of your whole family coming to Christ now, so that's awesome. Do you have anything you want to say to this? Sure. I mean, I just have to say I'm very honored to be able to baptize them. Um, I get emotional easy, so... <laughs> I just, <laughs> it, it's it's such a joy to watch their desire to grow in, in, in the word and their commitment that they've made. I mean, to watch my brother-in-law in the past six months and his, his, his eagerness to want to learn more and be committed is just amazing. And I just look forward to seeing them grow as a family together. Amen. What a great example of... of when you say yes to Jesus, what he can do. Amen? Amen. <laughs> Nico, do you have anything would you, would you like to share with us? Yeah, I'm just super excited. You know, this is a very important part. And uh, I'm more happy that um, you guys gave this church a chance. Um, it all started out with uh, one day we were trying to figure out, um, you know, if we were going to go to their church or, you know, some or this church. And, you know, I was like, you know, I'm, I'm – I, I miss my church. I'm gonna. I, I want to go this Sunday to my church, and you know, my mom's like, "All right, yeah, that's fine." And then, next thing you know, she ends up showing up, and they all come. And then, ever since then, it was just, it was history, you know. So, I'm, I, I'm just thankful that God put something on their heart and uh, just pulled them closer, and now they found a family to be a part of. All right, awesome, awesome. Thank you, Nico. Thank you, N Nico's. Uh, Nico's a, a great father, a, a young family, and they travel all the way from Indiana to come here to be here. And so, they, yeah, when he says this is his family, he, he, he means it. So thank you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so why don't you guys go back there and I'll direct you. Uh, now, what I'd like to say, you guys can just go right through that door, and I'll be there in a second. Uh, this is such an intimate and beautiful time. As you can see, Liz was uh, getting emotional about it. And so I would really love it to just invite you guys all up here, come up and see, the, but, but I can't do that. But the next best thing is I think, do we have the camera set up? So we have a camera. It's going to be on both screens, so you'll be able to just come right in and watch with us, but just stay seated. All right? Awesome. And we can stand up. We're going to worship as we get baptized.
testimony from death to life cause grace rewrote my story I'll testify by Jesus Christ the righteous I'm justified this is my testimony now I'm alive this is my testimony from death to life cause grace rewrote my story I'll testify by Jesus Christ the righteous, I'm justified. This is my testimony. This is my testimony. Yes, it is, Lord. We celebrate. Yeah.
want to just read this to you as we get ready to, to be done. Yeah, we, we, could, we could hold hands because that's what we do here. Because remember, we're one body. That means we are truly united with one another. Truly united. If we're not united, we really need to investigate why. I, I cannot be a child of God if I am not united to you. And that's more than just, hey, bro, love you. Listen to this. Who am I that the highest king would I was lost when he brought me in. Oh, his love for me. Oh, his love for me. Who the son sets free is free indeed. Oh, is free indeed because I'm a child of God. Yes, I am free at last. He's ransomed me. His grace runs deep. While I was a slave to sin, Jesus died for me. He died for me. Who the son sets free is free indeed. I'm a child of God. Yes, I am. Remember this. In my father's house, there's a place for me. I'm a child of God. I'm chosen, not forsaken. I am who you see.